Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role our dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us. There is a bad misperception that Jungian psychology is incompatible with the queer community, but in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. Because if you get one takeaway from what Dr. Jung said, it's that your calling is to be true to yourself. Be the person you are made to be and be more of it. And if you probe into his writings, you find that he says that you should be the person you are meant to be. In short, he recognized homosexuality as natural and as a manifestation of Eros, the archetype of connection and longing. Eros is the longing inside all of us to bridge the divide and bring together all the parts of oneself in harmony and love. So you could say that Eros is the impulse behind our dreams that want to make us whole. We have many reasons why we dream, but wholeness is the ultimate reason. And for Jung, it culminates in what the alchemists called the marriage of the soul. Typically, it is conceived of as a sort of Adam and Eve union. But what if Adam loves Steve? What if the longing of Eros finds Eve loving and wanting another Eve? And what do dreams have to say about it? And is it unnatural or a variation that nature created to more fully express itself? We brought our special guest, Greg, onto the show to share what he knows through his experience and his dreams and lead us into an exploration of the queer psyche. Now here's Greg and my co-host, Stevie E. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. I'm your co-host, Steve Erninwine, and I am here with Greg of Ganymede Project. We're very excited to have you here tonight. Um, before we get into this interview, though, tonight, uh, Greg asked if we would just take a nice little moment of silence for the Nashville shooting victims, the victims of or the families of the victims. Um, as two fathers, we we would like to just take that moment to to say some prayers and to pay tribute to those who were lost. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Steve. It's really, really um, touching that we had that moment. And I'm really honored to be joining you here on your podcast. This is really exciting for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I've been following you for probably, I don't know, 
can't remember when when it is I got your your uh, Instagram follow. What I was like, oh wow, this is like a whole nother side of Jungian and mythological thought than I have ever considered, and was hoping that that was out there. Um, Greg runs uh, the Ganymede Project, which I would love to have him talk in more length. The story he's about to share actually involves how he got started with this. So I think we're going to keep some of those details a little bit hush. Um, but if you want to maybe just tell everyone like a just quick little description of what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. Of course, I'd be happy to. Um, and it's very um, insightful that <laughs> you shared that you were surprised and hoped that there would be this side of depth psychology out there because that was the impetus for this project of mine. Mm. Um, I was looking for this sort of content out there on the internet, um, something that would go past my newsfeed that would inspire me. And after searching and searching and searching and not finding it, I said, well, I guess it's all up to me. (laughs) And so uh, I, uh, you know, I also really am a big fan of art, especially homoerotic art. And I thought, what a great thing to do if I could just pull in some of the texts that I was reading and pair it up with a piece of art that just resonated with the message of that particular excerpt and put it out there and see who it hits. Um, and that's, that's what I got going on. Yeah. So it's basically you're attempting to bring dream work to the queer community. Is that, is that a fair way of saying that? Or I would say instead of bringing dream work, I would like to honor the work that's already been done and encourage more um, inspire curiosity um, and a desire for those who haven't worked with their dreams, who haven't done, you know, quote, inner work, end quote, um, to get into it uh, because I found it to be a very healing and profound experience. And I would just love to share that with everyone, um, especially those in the queer community. Yeah, absolutely. I know every time we we begin to talk like anima animus on this podcast, I'm sitting there going, "This is so like heteronormative speak." Like, I hope that like <laughs> it's I don't know. I just it it kind of bothers me. So when I found you and the work that you're doing, I was just like, oh, "Thank God!" Like, I need to get so so cultured on everything you have going on so that I can. <laughs> So that I can make this podcast even more inclusive than we're already trying to do. So, very excited. I and we were. I was super. I had him be super vague on exactly what he's about to share here tonight. So, so much of this is going to be brand new to me. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to take this ride with you tonight. Yeah, same here. Let's buckle up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I like it. Um, so to begin. Uh, from what I understand about the uh, the story is that you were kind of in a a really tough place where you felt pretty hopeless, you felt kind of lost. And uh, if you could 
if you could give us an idea of kind of like where you were at, uh, what year it was, and um, yeah, if you could give us like the whole backstory of of how you got to this nexus of dreaming that really changed everything for you. Yeah, so these dreams come that I've shared with you come from a time it was October of 2020 we're in the pandemic like we are in it <laughs> yeah we're looking to our leaders to help us through no one seems to know what they're doing people are getting sick um and everything just seems completely topsy-turvy so on top of that um you know, I'm working from home every day, not really leaving the house or going anywhere. Um, my husband is also at home, um, but he works for the state. And so um, there's always that lingering um, moment where they're going to say, okay, come back because we need you in the office. There's no alternative. You have, you have to be here in your workspace um, because you are an um, essential worker. That right. was the term yeah, that they were yeah. using. So that was scary. Um, and we have a young son who has some medical issues. And at this time, in 2020, um, it was a really rough time for our little guy. And we were, mm. you know, putting in all of our mental, emotional, physical everything into just taking care of him and keeping him comfortable and and being there for him um and it's hard to see your child going through um a really rough time because you know as a parent yeah. you would do anything to to just fix any problem solve any problem for your kid especially when they're they're that young yeah. um, oh my god and being witness to a child who is hurting um, and knowing, you know, you're doing everything in your power and it, it doesn't fix it. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> terrible, terrible place to be. And so, like you were hitting on, you know, the hopelessness, the helplessness, that's where, that's where I was. I think my husband was there too. Um, I'll just also add that uh, I don't think I shared this with you, but like yourself, I'm a musician. Um, oh, I'm, I'm a performer. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, so I was in the midst of all of this, watching my colleagues. So like, I have an office job, a full time office job. It's very cushy, and, and I'm well taken care of, and I'm in a good place. So I don't have to rely on my performing. However, I have a lot of colleagues who really do rely on performing and teaching. And when all these gigs dried up... Mm, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Watching them struggle, it was hard not to internalize that. And um, it, it got up to the point where you're seeing the very top of the top um, musicians and the top-tier orchestras and most acclaimed performing venues and ensembles are losing their contracts um, going without pay and you're thinking to yourself wow I've worked so hard all these years on this 
passion project and I've trained and I've, you know, invested so much into this and I'm watching it all disintegrate in front of me. <laughs> I know, dude. It was a trip for a while there, man. It was like, there was so many musician friends of my own that was so brutal to watch because they had, they were doing so good leading up to that. And then, yeah. Oh my God. Couple, a couple of roommates that I had that ended up going off and doing some pretty big things. I was see, hearing their stories. It was just like, oh my God, it was nuts. So yeah, I remember that well. Yeah, it was very, very hard to watch. It was um, demoralizing to say the least. And mm -hmm. so all those factors all contributed to this really dark time that I found myself in. Um, around the time I had these dreams. Hmm. Wow. Let's see. I guess uh, if you want to lead us right into the first one. Of course, yeah. So um, I, I sent you these dreams, uh, Steve, as I felt like they were all kind of connected. They all happened around the same time. Uh, the first one starts out that um, I'm outside in a yard, like a backyard with a contractor. He's a middle-aged white man. He's showing me a large square tub that's been inserted into a hole in the ground and bolted in. The sides seem to be bulging inward. This is meant to serve as a foundation for a house. I'm trying to imagine the size of the house that would fit on top, and it seems small to me. The contractor assures me we can expand the foundation by digging out past any side of this square. And that was my dream. Hmm. <laughs> Love house dreams. <laughs> so uh, I've been like sitting there racking my brain looking at these dreams that you sent me and i'm like well in some ways i can see a progression here in other ways i'm like i had i don't have the context to know exactly how they all like the thread that weaves between them so i, I like yeah. that's what i can't wait to see how that happens here tonight um <laughs> what do you what are you making of this first initial dream well i have a very strong advantage and excellent privilege of having my own Jungian psychoanalyst at my disposal, nice. um, who I speak with every week about my dreams. Uh, and at this time, I was meeting regularly, even over Zoom with my analyst, and I brought this dream to him. So um, I've, we've already done the analysis, Steve. I'll just give you the, the, the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, walk us through it. Yeah. You're staring at this square tub that's been installed in the ground and being told, okay, we're going to build your house on top of it, but it's tiny. It's not big enough. So this was kind of what I imagined to be a precursor of things to come. Mm -hmm. um, here I am in this present moment. You know, I mentioned that you know, this tub that the sides are bulging inward. Yeah. That's really what I felt like. I felt like <laughs> the walls are caving in. This is just the foundation. Um, there isn't even a structure to speak of yet. 
Yeah. Um, and I'll also add that at this time, I was doing a lot of reading um, of Jung and post-Jungians um, and really trying to find out anything and, you know, hook onto anything that I could about queer psyche in relation to this depth psychology approach that mm -hmm. um, Jung had established. So I think that really plays into it here that not only was I in this point in my life where I'm being prompted to set a new foundation for myself, but the perimeters are just not sufficient. There's not enough room. This foundation is not going to work. Um, mm. And I have this contractor, um, I think, you know, in a very classical Jungian sense, um, Jung talks about um, the functions of psychology and each person has their dominant and um, inferior functions. I think I might be mistaken, but I think this contractor is, you know, an inferior function of mine who is stepping into my dream here in a very compensatory way. Um, I am an extroverted feeling type. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so thinking is my inferior function. <laughs> and uh, so I think this contractor is my inferior thinking function who's stepping in here. Um, mm. He appeared in this dream as, you know, um, I don't know what these contractor dudes look like in your neck of the woods, but here where I live, I'm on the, up, on the, um, Northeast coast. They're usually like pretty muscular, very earthy down to earth guys. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just like, Hey, what you got over here? We're going to work <laughs> on this thing over here. You know, like that's kind <laughs> of the affect we have over uh -huh. here. Um, in my dream and so yeah that was maybe a little bit of shadow mixed in there too in my inferior function of i don't think of myself as that sort of person right, but here yeah. he is helping me out um and uh so i'm gonna have to lean on him to yeah dig this a little wider for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how oh, i love that yeah, because it seems like if that if he is the inferior function, then it's kind of like that that small minded voice that we all have that secretly tends to kind of sabotage us. He's like building you the foundation, but it's like too small. It's bulging in. It's not appropriate um, for where you're trying to go or the life that you're trying to build for yourself. I know Jason loves house metaphors as like it's the life that you're trying to build for yourself. Um, yeah. And I think that applies here so beautifully. And uh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, bro, I think you're definitely going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to expand that out big time. The, uh, the term square one comes to mind as mm. we're talking about this. We're at square one. 
yeah. <laughs> at this square in the ground. Um, <laughs> and we have a long way to go. Um, mm. Because, yeah, I feel like at this point in my life, everything that that I relied on and that I had my faith and trust in was just kind of crumbling. All my faculties were starting to fail me. And so here we are, square one in this dream, trying to work with my inferior function to get something established. (laughs) Nice. And I I love the fact that it's a contractor. I always like love when there's titles for people to like see if there's anything to do with the title. Um, and it's kind of like, here you are in this moment at square one and you're kind of making a contract with yourself where it's kind of like, no, this has got to, we got to think bigger here. We got to be bigger here. And the dream gives you this image of this kind of where you're at, like you're feeling lost and kind of hopeless and, uh, you, you, I mean, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but I guess if this was my dream, I'm I'm feeling like I've boxed myself in kind of small. And here you get this great image, this great ability to look at what what you're doing to yourself or, uh, and be like, no, this (laughs) actually, no, 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 this, uh, this can't stand the way that it's going right now. Like we got to reevaluate this. Um, so I think that's beautiful. I think that's, that's one of my favorite things about dreams is how it, it gives you a look at what's happening and you get, you get the beautiful chance in a very metaphorical way where you're like, I'm so glad you gave that to me because it puts everything in perfect perspective. And now like I have this image to, to, to lean on a little bit and be like, okay, every time I'm starting to think small, all I got to think about is this little square foundation that's bulging in on the sides <laughs> and realize that, yeah, we gotta we gotta think uh, we're we're worth more. Or we're we're bigger than this, or however you want to look at that. That so yeah, I like that. Yeah, and something else I'll add is that um, you know Jung said the face that we show the unconscious is the face that it shows back to us. Mm. And with that being said, you know this dream ends with the contractor saying you know, he can sense that I'm not happy with what I'm looking at. And he says, don't worry about it. We'll make it bigger. Uh, and so, you know, it's, you know, a few years later, I'm thinking about this dream and I'm saying, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad that's how it ended. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad this contractor didn't, you know, chase me with a shovel or something. Yeah. Right. Um, we're in good relationship. We're in a right relationship. And, I would be lying uh, if I did not give credit to my analyst for that right relationship with the unconscious. Uh, I think it, it's really something that I just really hope everyone can experience and and have access to truly. I like that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I I mean, I I sit there and think about, I was just, I'm, I'm in a men's circle and I had posted mm-hmm. this thing to the whole community the other day and was just like, I really want to bring dreams more fully to the men's work circle. And like the way that I spoke about it, I was just like in the middle of speaking about it. I'm just like, why is not 
everybody doing this because if you're trying, like, especially in like a men's work circle, like to not have dream work as a part of it seems so silly to me. Mm. Um, because yeah, in group we can help each other see our blind spots, but man, dreams offer that to you so so readily that it seems like why is that not being utilized more? You know, but that's my that's my uh, soapbox. Right there. <laughs> But, you know, it's easier said than done to work with your dreams. Um, that, that is true. It's something, it, it's a practice. I'm, I mean, that's something that I've found. I only started writing my dreams down regularly about four or five years ago. Um, and, you know, I would remember dreams here and there, but I wouldn't write them down. But, but um, I started writing my dreams down. Um, I read the very first young text I read man and his symbols. And I, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to start writing my dreams now. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I feel like, you know, I've, I've also introduced that to, to other people, not a men's circle per se, but, but other, you know, queer gay men that I know, I'll say, Hey, do you, write your dreams down (laughs) like would you want to talk about your dreams uh and so often they're like oh yeah i don't remember my dreams i can't i don't really write them down you know i wake up and then i forget about them and i experience the same thing uh but once you're in the habit of writing your dreams down it just becomes easier i don't know it's it's something that you have to start i've i've found you know from my own experience it might seem big it might seem impossible or weird or or unnatural or even um uh futile to do this but i think once you just get started then things just start rolling uh is that how you experienced uh working with your dreams yeah, I totally agree. It it definitely took, and I, I did this all like very privately for quite a few years, and yeah, it. I would say the images worked on me over time, and eventually, especially if you have enough time in the trenches with them, like you start to recognize patterns. You start to recognize, oh, last time, everything was falling apart in my life. I had dreams just like this. And so then you're like, okay, well, next time I see a bunch of dreams show up that are kind of like this, then I'll know, you know, they're trying to communicate to what's happening in my life. And yeah, I just think over time, especially if you're, if you're really attempting to understand what it is they're speaking to you, that it is, it's, it's your own private language and the more you sit with them and the more that you entertain the images that they give you um, and the depth of feeling that they give you, I think you yeah. just naturally fall into a rhythm with them and they, they, they blossom for you and they show themselves to you over time in a, such a beautiful way. And yeah, I just, to me, to me, it's so just, I mean, just the, 
just the intensity of them and just the the feelings that they evoke and uh just the deep mystery that they carry i think for me was was my anchor for a long time i was just like oh man i can't get enough of this like i don't really understand what the hell's going on but these are so intense and i love it that's great <laughs> that's really wonderful yeah uh, but yeah, then after a while, you, you you kind of like are like, well, if I'm going to keep doing this, like I got to kind of understand better. And then, mm. yeah, I think if you, yeah, there's if you just start digging a little bit, you start finding a lot of people that have a lot of good things to say about it. And especially when you start to find other people who are doing it, I think that's what, when I when I started to find the dream working community. That was when everything started clicking into place because then you're able to bounce things off of other people. And so if you are doing this more privately, any of you out there, I, I would encourage you to find a dream group or just reach out to people who are doing the work. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a beautiful way to um, really anchor yourself in learning your own language because people can help reflect it back to you and just by seeing the way that they relate to their images gives you ideas. And yeah, it's just, it's a snowball effect and it's beautiful and I encourage it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in my experience, I am the least capable person of interpreting my own dreams. Mm. Um, I remember reading something that, that Jung would bounce his dreams off of the, custodian in his, <laughs> in his house or something um because they were more apt to tell him what his dream meant than he was able to do himself huh. um because yeah the dreamer is the least capable in interpreting their own dream um you really need someone there with you to to kind of mm -hmm. pull you out of that sort of ego center and really encounter something that you were just not conscious of. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause if you just think about it, like you're able to see your partner's blind spots so much better than they are. <laughs> no, we... <laughs> yeah. And, and vice versa. And vice versa. Absolutely. Yep. Oh man. It's so funny. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's take a step back and clarify what we mean by being capable of interpreting your own dreams. Greg says, the way he understands it, that the dreamer is least capable of that. But that's not to say that you can't interpret your own dreams. Let's be clear. It's to say that it helps to have someone help you see into your blind spots. Dr. Jung said that dreams show the ego what it does not know or understand. They shine a light into the dark areas of the mind, into you, the one who had the dream. You are trying to make something conscious or better understood by dreaming about it. And you are more than capable of interpreting your own dreams. Let's be clear. And even the best of us can benefit from someone else's outside perspective. So yeah, uh, so I guess how did after you had this and you worked it with your analyst, um, because all these dreams happen real quick. They're all, I think within, within like a month, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Um, I mean, was this just kind of a dream that was like, okay, well I see that. And you just 
let it stew within you or did you actually like do more work with it where you were kind of like trying to make yourself bigger or I don't know how to, how to even frame that question properly. Just, uh, <laughs> was there any additional work that you did with it? With that particular dream. And I'm very, uh, ashamed to admit that I, I'm not the best when it comes to dreaming the dream forward as uh, I think it's Robert Johnson who, who put it that way. Um, my analyst is always encouraging me to do active imagination. And mm-hmm. I have a little sketchbook actually that if I can find a quiet moment to myself when I'm not at anyone's beck and call, I can <laughs> sit and put on some music and sketch my dream images down in this little sketchbook. And I do that. Um, from time to time this dream um i just talked about it in my session uh with my analyst and just talking about it and thinking about it was all i really needed to put things yeah. in motion um psychically yeah and no no shame in the game this uh <laughs> we have t- I, I feel like we have too many dreams to be able to extensively work all of them <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, like you said, like some of them like this one, I wasn't expecting you to say anything too profound. So, uh, cause I mean, I don't, I mean, outside of like just having the realization that maybe you are thinking a little small or however it is that you specifically internalized what it was trying to say to you. Uh, yeah. It, the dream doesn't seem to be offering too much as far as like, what you can do from there, just that we do have to be bigger here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it's so funny because even, even me, like I, I'll often allow these dreams and images to live within me. And yes, for most dreams, I feel like that is, that's just most appropriate. Um, and I just let them work me and just keep them with me and keep them in mind and keep them in my body a little bit. And, uh, but there are some of them that I do work deeper and I, I feel, I feel like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I should be more intentional about doing more with certain ones. Um, but yeah, it's tricky, especially like you're saying with <laughs> being a dad and <laughs> yeah. if you're not at someone's back and call, which is almost never, <laughs> um, uh, it's so crazy. But anyways, uh, let's move into the second dream. This was the most juicy one reading it. It was like, I was like, yeah. oh man, this is good. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see where we go with this one. Yeah, this was a big dream and it happened the very next night after the, um, contractor dream. Oh damn. I forgot about that. I, I guess I... I must have known it when I was when you gave it to me, but I've I've since forgot. Oh man, yeah. So so it so absolutely, you know, having that time with someone else to talk about that dream, it opened up something in the unconscious that was able to come through in this dream, and it was a big dream. So without further ado, <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, I guess you didn't have much time to do any kind of work on the first dream. Now that. <laughs> we're here (laughs) yeah next night boom um here here it comes uh so 
this dream starts, um, I'm chatting with a congregation member at my church, not my actual church. This is a dream church. Um, side note, my husband and I, we are church going folks. And so, um, that's kind of something that shows up in my dreams a lot, but this was not our church. This was some other church somewhere. I don't even know. (laughs) So we're, so I'm chatting with, um, a man, um, about the service. It's Sunday morning. He says, we're going to have a substitute priest who's going to be really great, but warns I should not be put off by his style. Um, this is just great. I was thinking about this before, um, you and I spoke tonight, Steve, and I was just thinking about, it's one thing to read about the autonomy of the objective psyche, you know, (laughs) all of that. (laughs) And then it's one thing to see it in a dream. Mm. Like, here's a guy in my dream saying, something's going to (laughs) happen. Don't be put off by what's about to happen. You know, I'm not making this up. It's happening to me. Right. Um, I'm not making this up. So I think that's just crazy. So when we're talking about the objective psyche, that's it. It has its own agenda um, uh, and it has plans for you and it has a message <laughs> for you. And here we go. So the service begins very casually. I'm seated on a bar stool directly beside the church altar. And as I'm recalling this dream, the altar is kind of like a white marble, very clean, um, angular marble altar. So I'm seated there along with other parishioners as if we're attending a meal. Two almost identical priests enter the sanctuary. They're white men in their 30s with strawberry blonde hair and neatly trimmed beards. They're totally nude with glittering golden mantles on their shoulders connected to a fine gold chain which starts at their necks continues down their chests and their torsos, and then is connected to a gold ring around their genitals. Their bodies are equally soft and stocky and covered with lustrous uh, strawberry blonde hair. One of the priests from this pair leads the service, mentioning they're visiting from the Order of St. John the Divine. The other is totally silent. During the course of the service, they're casting amorous, fleeting glances at each other's bodies, and mine as well. I can sense a strong uh, sexual tension. I'm waiting anxiously to hear the priest's sermon, but he never delivers it. (laughs) We are dismissed for a break before communion, and I leave the altar. I'm talking with another parishioner about the visiting priests. And I'm observing the fine details in an ornately carved wooden confessional nearby. The confessional is like this box, big wooden uh, booth, where Mm -hmm. in the Roman Catholic tradition, there's a divider in the middle. You sit on one side, the priest sits on the other side, and you confess to the priest. Um, So I'm, I'm talking to this person, and I'm kind of like running up and down with my hands, the very fine... Um, details of this carved out wooden confessional. But then I walk outside and I'm continuing downhill from the church for a bit. But then I find myself scurrying back uphill to get back to the church in time for communion. And that's where the dream ends. Hmm. (laughs) I love it. Oh, man. 
Yeah, I I was so tickled by this dream. I just thought it was, I I just loved the way that she had written it and the the twin priests naked all adorned like that was like wow this is so good <laughs> yeah oh, that man. was a really really wonderful image to have in a dream really seriously really cool oh man so there's so much here um <laughs> yes there's a lot yeah <laughs> uh where do you want to begin with it I mean, we could just start with the priests. You, you, um, um, very kindly introduced that. So let's just go with it. Let's talk about okay. these guys. <laughs> yeah, because we already kind of talked about the guy like speaking to what was about to happen, which I love. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's that's so perfect. And uh, oh man, <laughs> uh, yeah. It was like, pay attention. This is going to be weird. This is going to be something <laughs> else you're not expecting. Uh, so, yeah. Don't don't sleep on this. Yeah, exactly. Um, what do you make of the fact that he says they're from the order of St. John the Divine? That seems like a piece of information that was very specific do you, was there anything there for you as far as that's concerned, or is that just kind of filler? Oh, there's something there, Steve, and I'm really glad that you <laughs> touched on that. I had um, a feeling. <laughs> and again, I had the privilege of analyzing this dream with my analysts, so I've had some some experience in working through this dream and the symbols here and the associations and the amplifications and all that. Mm-hmm. So St. John the Divine, um, a few associations. There is a church in Manhattan, St. John the Divine. Um, It's a huge church. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's just huge. And uh, I've been there a few times. And it's just a really great place. The grounds around it are really wonderful. There are gardens. There are just peacocks hanging out outside the church. You would never expect these wow. beautiful creatures just chilling around the grounds <laughs> here in, in Manhattan. It's a part of Manhattan. It's like in near uh, near Columbia, I think. So it's like um, the upper upper regions of Manhattan. Okay. Um, but it's just a really cool place. Colorful stained glass windows. They um, do all really cool services that incorporate the performing arts and the fine arts and and poetry and things so it's just like really cool place but another association that is really important here is that um in the gospels so i'm a practicing christian and so i know the bible i know the gospels and i know um the new testament there are four gospels matthew mark luke and john and the, those first three are called the uh, Synoptic Gospels. Um, forgive me if you already know all this, but they are called that because they're very, I don't want to say very, but they are pretty much objective. This is what happened. Uh, and then the Gospel of John kind of gets into this whole dogmatic uh, narrative about who Christ is and 
and um, you know, pretty some pretty archetypal material there about um, the word and logos and and that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's all in the Gospel of John. And the really cool thing is that Saint John of the Apostles in the Gospel of John is referred to over and over again as the apostle who Jesus loved. Hmm. And so when you're a little gay boy growing up and reading the Bible and listening to these stories, and you hear about this male apostle who Jesus loved, it fills you with a warm, tingly feeling that maybe Jesus loved a man. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Oh, man. It's possible. And you, uh, you look at the uh, Last Supper that Da Vinci painted, and that's St. John who is resting his head on Christ's chest. Um, da Vinci was super queer as well. Hmm. So it's, it's there. It's, it's that kind <laughs> of like, uh-huh. that kind of queer subcontext that one can read into the Bible. Hmm. And so these priests are here from the order of St. John the Divine. It's the name of this church, but also it has these associations of queerness and Christianity and spirituality for me. Wow, that's so cool. That was really deep. That was not nearly... uh, I was not expecting it to be that specific and deep for you. That's... I mean, the way he announces it felt like there had to be something really kind of special there for you. Yeah. Um, Man, I was not expecting that. That was really cool. Yeah, I mean, how special to have that feeling. Um, Are you Christian or are you Roman Catholic? Because I know you had just mentioned uh, the confessional as being Roman Catholic. It's funny you should ask. Um, I'm Protestant, um, grew up in the Episcopal Church, but I went to a private Catholic school as a child. So even though interesting on Sundays I was at the Episcopal Church, Monday through Friday, I was learning all this Catholic catechism stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and attending their masses, too, that they would hold in huh. the school. So... But I was not allowed to participate. I was not allowed to take communion. I had to know all the prayers. I had to say all the prayers. I didn't have to do confessional. So I guess the sacraments I wasn't given access to or required to do. But participating in the the liturgical stuff, I was expected to do. That's so weird. Um, yeah, I guess I, I was asking because I was brought up Roman Catholic. And I was just curious. Um uh, yeah, so, uh, <clears throat> oh man, I I think what I was starting to say was that I, I just really love the fact that um, even having this, this religious, um, I guess, with having the religious uh, background that you have, which I would say usually tries to present itself as as if, um, you know, the gay community or the queer community is 
is not a part of what they they hold mm-hmm. and the fact that you're able to have this image of Jesus um, so tenderly to hold on for yourself I think that is so beautiful I think that how kind of redeeming that must have been for you to have I think maybe it was what allowed you to maintain your faith in that religion I don't know is that accurate or is Am I yeah. putting words in your mouth? <laughs> no, that's accurate. Um, uh, we could spend an entire I know. <laughs> uh, episode just talking topic. about Christianity <laughs> and um, queerness. I'll also just throw into the mix here, if you really want to know all of my spiritual background, um, my parents were born and raised in Jewish homes, and they had converted hmm. before I was born. And so I have this Jewish ancestry really close, you know, one degree separation there. Yeah. Um, and also this uh, kind of diverse Christian experience as well. And uh, um, I'll just say that, you know, I, I refer to my privilege and having access to an analyst. Well, I'm also going to throw out that I'm very privileged to have survived in a Christian environment, in a Christian home, mm-hmm. and made it out alive. Not everyone does. Um, I'm privileged to have a family that doesn't just accept me, but affirms me in my mm-hmm. identity. Um, and they celebrate my marriage and my family uh it's not this way for a lot of folks and especially coming from the fundamentalist um christian sects that have so much of a stronghold on our political atmosphere all across the country it's it's mind-boggling um but And even in the Catholic Church, you know, you have this Pope who kind of gives it, it takes one step forward and two steps back when it comes to inclusion of (laughs) queer identity in the Catholic Church. Because he's like, yes, everyone should be welcomed into the Church, but you're sinners. And yes, we should, you know, accept our brothers and sisters who are queer, but we're not going to ordain you and we're not going to marry you. You know, it's yeah. So, like I said, we could spend a whole episode talking about <laughs> this shit. Uh, but to put it very simply, exactly what you were saying, um, Steve, that Christianity and queerness are like oil and water sometimes, um, and it's explicit. It is done on purpose. People aren't just, you know, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. Oh, if I had known, I wouldn't have said that. No, they know exactly what they're doing. Right. They're in service to a particular ideology that is violent and destroys families, destroys individuals. It's bad. Um, Yeah. So that's, I guess, where I'll just leave that. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, man. Oh, man. 
Well, yeah, uh, please, uh, let's speak to the priests themselves and the way that they're, they're dressed. And I don't know if it was shock value for you um, to experience that. It seems like maybe the dream was setting it up to pad some of the shock value <laughs> but maybe that was like really like juicy and gorgeous to you for me it was like oh my god i love this because it feels so like um so counter <laughs> everything that um the christian church would be about so i was just like oh my god i love this so much but like for you to see that to see those, did, did they walk down like the aisle towards the altar? Or they, <laughs> like, are yeah, they almost on parade, like parade is a bad word, but is, are they like procession? Yeah. There you go. That's it. Yeah. They, they processed into <laughs> the sanctuary, you know, pretty much naked and very overtly sexual, but divinely sexual, mm-hmm. you know, they're decked mm-hmm. out in, even though it's very skimpy and, kinky you know when we're talking about rings around your genitals we're talking about c-rings here um that's what they were wearing uh so this was a little this was definitely kinky um (laughs) but in a very divine way and as i'm thinking of how these priests appeared in the dream like they were just i was talking about strawberry blonde hair you know on their they had beards and their hair and their whole body was covered in this lustrous strawberry blonde hair yeah a lot of sun solar energy happening here Mm -hmm. um and um the chain that connects from the mantles that were around their shoulders and their neck and then it just connects all the way down um to the groin um and it's this tiny thin little glittering chain it's just really cool um the dreams are weird this is this is how it happened uh you can talk about the symbolism of we could even call it kundalini of the connection of your base chakra Mm. to the head and then back down again yeah um it was definitely symbolic of something um I'm thinking right now as I'm talking about these mantles that were on their shoulders. And I was thinking of um, the passage in the, in the gospel where he says, you know, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the, the yoke is this thing that cattle would have on their shoulders to pull um, the plows and the hose or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what these guys are wearing. They're wearing these golden um, yokes on their shoulders. I mean, it's I, I called it a mantle. It's almost even like epaulettes um, on like a military uniform, just like something covering mm-hmm. their shoulders. But it, maybe it's a yoke. I don't know. Um, I like that. Yeah. So it's so much symbolism here and so much visually happening. Um, very lustrous and shiny and like um they're not these muscle guys they're kind of like these um more bearish type guys so there's something sort of 
comfy and cozy and squishy mm. about them. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, man. That's kind of the feeling I get from it. Like even being yeah. like a cishet man, like uh, there's something that is so, I don't know if exciting is the right word. There's, there's something that is invigorating for even me looking at this imagery that stirs something inside of me that feels like really joyful and exciting. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, what do you make of being on a bar stool like you're there to eat a meal? Yeah, and before we get to that, I'll just add oh, yeah, about please. the um, double priests that my analyst told me that usually when you're dreaming about something that's doubled, it is because it is coming into consciousness. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's Spoiler not where I thought alert. it was going to be. Sweet. Okay. Can't wait to see where that goes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought he was going to say it's like a duality thing. So that's actually a lot cooler than constantly looking at duality in dreams. Because there is a little bit of that to it where one's speaking, one's silent. Um, yeah. I like. I don't think I've ever heard that. I'm going to have to look at that. Yeah, yeah. I've read it in a couple of other sources, too, that um, in analytical psychology, one um, approach to things being doubled in dreams is that it is a sign of something that is coming into consciousness. Hmm. Interesting. And lucky for me, it did. But um, I'll tell you about that after. <laughs> yes. but we're, so we're talking about this um, author and about being like a bar. I think it's cool because when you have communion, it's a meal. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're pulling up a bar stool up to an altar, it's, it's, it's like a tension of opposites almost. The sacred meets the profane mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. image. Um, and for queer people, the bar is your communion place. Um, wow. That's where, you, that's where you go to commune with your family um, and to meet people and to have erotic encounters, um, just to hang out with your friends and just be unabashedly yourself um, without the threat of being cast out you know yeah damn dude this this dream is so much deeper than i thought i knew i knew there had to be so many layers to it but i'm like ah this is great man yeah so i think at this at this time you know a couple of years ago when i had this dream i mentioned that i was really grappling with trying to find my <laughs> <laughs> something in depth psychology that I could really cling to and really understand. Um, I feel like at this time I was, I was doing a lot of reading by myself. I made the mistake of getting onto Reddit and um, posting on some Jungian subreddits there. 
big mistake. <laughs> I would not <laughs> recommend that uh, for any queer people or just women in general. Uh, it oh, was not God. a great place to be. But I did find, you know, a few people who who steered me in the right direction there. Um, they would send me DMs and be like, oh, cool, yeah, I'll listen to that. Thank you for that helpful note. Um, so I was really trying to find, you know, a community, a book, anything that I could really say, yes, this is it. This is what I'm seeing in my dreams. This is This is speaking to the complexes that I'm dealing with in my psychoanalysis like i'm really really looking for mm-hmm. for something that's really going to give me that um affirmation and that clarity and i think in this dream you know i'm i'm left like waiting to hear the sermon <laughs> like, yeah give me the sermon sexy comfy <laughs> swishy gay priests like please yeah. i need it and here they are they're walking in um but they're not going to say anything and and i remember talking about that aspect with my analyst and he's like well who's going to give the sermon greg and i'm like you are i'm so glad you went there because i was about to drop that on you if you hadn't if you never went there Uh, i'm like that's the devil coming out i was like they're putting it in your lap Oh, yeah, man. thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was my response. Yeah, like, okay, great. Here I am looking for something, and it's something I'm going to have to produce myself. Exactly. Essentially. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, so there's all of that context, too, for you. Very cool. Um while we're right there on that on that piece, I wanted to something that I really appreciated about this dream, which in my own dreams when this happens just drives me mad, which it sounds like may might have done that to you a little bit. Um, and so it's moments it's, it's when dreams leave off on these threshold moments where like you're just about to get to the doorway of the place that you know you need to get, or in this case, like you're running back up the hill to make it to the church just before communion. Um, but you don't make it there for the dream ends. Yeah. Uh, any of these kind of, any of these kind of moments in dreams where like the thing that you feel like the dream is building to, um, and you're just about there and then the dream ends and you wake up and you're like, what the heck was that about? Like, why did you just do that to me? Um, <laughs> like those used to just make me so upset, but, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I started looking at those in a different way, which really has redeemed them for me in a big way. Uh, Please where, share. Yeah, where it's like, all right, so this is a threshold moment for you where it, the dream ends and it welcomes you back into your waking life that this is where you're at, that this is this is the threshold that you are standing on right now, that you are racing up this hill about to receive communion or the sermons about to be delivered however you want to look at that because you're now in the world to do it or experience it or to bring it forward and yeah i think uh <laughs> uh it's got a mad name um but i think being able to frame it like that i think is a really beautiful way to 
to actually bring the dream forward in the way we were kind of talking earlier where now you kind of have a responsibility and like you just announced we're like yeah thanks for that um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a responsibility that you all of a sudden now carry to go forward in your life as if you are on that in that moment in your life um yeah man it's <laughs> It can be super maddening and yeah, when life drops these kinds of big weighty responsibilities in our lap, it is a lot to wrestle with at first. But I think being a few years down the road, I think you'd would definitely echo this very powerfully that you're glad that you picked up the torch there. I would think if you want to speak to that for a second. Yeah, sure. Um, Absolutely. And I have learned so much since then, and I've met so many people since then. I, I will say that following this dream and, you know, having that conversation with my analyst where he's like, okay, well, who's going to deliver this sermon, Greg? <laughs> uh, uh, like, I just, rem- just, oh, that feeling of no, no, not me, please. I, I need, th- now I need something. I don't want to be the purveyor of the thing. I want to receive the thing. um but i will say that so after having this dream and after that after that session i to put it symbolically got in touch with that inferior contractor in my dream my inferior thinking function and i went and i did my research and i uh you know, because up to then, you know, I'd mentioned like I was reading books and I was doing all this thing, all this stuff, reading articles. And mm-hmm. um, one of the books that I read that was just like really fantastic was um, I'm looking at it right now. It's on my desk. It doesn't ever seem to leave there. It's Young Jungians and Homosexuality by Robert Hopke, uh, who is a fantastic writer. Oh my God, one of the best writers out there. And he very thoroughly goes through all this stuff. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, a, it, it, it was published in the 80s, and it kind of gets up to a point of, okay, here's everything that Jung said about homosexuality, and here's where we are now, period. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, that was in the 80s. And a lot has happened since then. And uh, I was just like, okay, so, so now what? Now here we are, like, um, 30 years later, you know, what's going on? Um, what are people saying? Where do I go? What, what's going on? You know, what, what are the thoughts here? Like you were, you were bringing up the anima animus, um, uh-huh. thing, uh, that's very much a part of it too. Uh, because in a very classical Jungian sense, you have a contrasexual soul and they are, they can be the object of your sexual desire. But when the object of your sexual desire is someone of the same gender and not the contrasexual, what does that mean? Um, and how are we supposed to treat that? And it's this huge anomaly and this huge mystery that, you know, the psychoanalysts just can't seem to wrap their heads around. Uh, as you can tell, I'm getting a little bit like agitated over here. <laughs> um, and you're, you're reading the classical Jungian treatment of it is, you know, identification with the anima. Um, the mother complex has taken over you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you're not supposed to be this way. Something has gone wrong, or something is not happening the way it's supposed to happen. You're a you're a puer eternus, um, and you need to grow up. You know, you need to change. Hmm. But that is wrong. It is wrong. Um, you you see this phrase all throughout um, psychoanalysis a priori. Well, listen up, folks. <laughs> I got something to tell you. Um, your sexuality is a priori. You don't get to decide that you're queer. Hmm. And can we also maybe make a little room for um, the queerness of straight folks too? Are straight folks all 100% straight? Um, do they only dream about their contrasexual soul? Could they also dream about a homosexual soul? Um, could they have a same-sex dream um, figure who is not their shadow, but instead a figure that is bringing them in touch with the self in a non-shadowy way? Is it mm. at all possible? The answer is yes. So It's yes for me. <laughs> there you go. I've landed and I know I'm kind of like talking a blue streak over here because because we're we're really getting into it now and this dream is yeah. like really big and, um but okay the last last thing I'll say and I'm gonna make this as <laughs> eloquent as I can is okay so I started doing my research after I had this dream like really looking at the sources looking at the names who are these people who wrote these things about gays in psychoanalysis and i came across uh, mitch walker who lives in la and he is an activist during the uh gay liberation front uh worked with harry hay and the radical fairy movement and he is a psychologist and he knows jung and he knows psychoanalysis he started, I found out that he had established an institute for gays and lesbians in California where he had lived. Um, and at this time when I was researching it, I found out that the institute had, you know, since disbanded, but they um, still met online. And I got to, you know, doing this research, you know, after having this dream about these priests, you know, about to deliver the sermon found out about Mitch Walker and um, found out he has all these videos on YouTube that I just listened to one after the other in very <laughs> quick succession. And I crashed their Zoom monthly meetings that they had and really got to know what they're dealing with over there. Mitch himself was not on the call, but um, his colleague was on there. And it was, yeah, a real game changer because finally I had found people who were asking the same questions that I was asking and coming to the very same conclusions that I had been to. Oh well. man, that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, while we're on this vein, do you want to talk about the Ganymede myth at all? Would that be appropriate? Or 
Sure. I mean, it's it's a pretty short myth. Um, Ganymede, whose name means happy genitals. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, was a cute little shepherd in... Uh, where was it? Ancient Greece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're getting to the hour of the night where my brain is starting to yeah. short out. But um, so yeah, he's a shepherd and he's super cute, and everyone is like, "Oh my god, look at Ganymede! He's so cute!" Um, and he's so attractive and so beautiful that even Zeus himself notices his beauty and is is covetous of Ganymede as. Zeus is often with mm-hmm. many other people, <laughs> humans, um, not so many boys, but this is the, the exception for Zeus. So in some forms of the myth, either Zeus metamorphosizes into an eagle and swoops down and carries Ganymede up to Olympus to be his cupbearer. In other versions, Zeus sends his eagle over to uh, snatch Ganymede up and carry him um, to Olympus. Uh, Up to that point, there was another goddess, um, Hebe. I might be mispronouncing her name, but she was the cupbearer to Zeus. But uh, she was deposed in favor of (laughs) um, this wonderful shepherd boy, Ganymede, happy genital boy. and. you know, it was assumed to be, you know, implied to be that he was then Zeus's lover for all eternity. He kind of had an apotheosis where he was no mere mortal anymore. And what makes this myth wow. special and why I decided to honor it with with this um, Instagram account of mine is that there are so many myths in the the Greek collection history where there is homoerotic love and it always tends to end with the object of desire for the deity dies um tragically uh and the reason for this um christine downing she's another jungian um and she's a gay jungian too and she's great she wrote really cool stuff everyone check her out christine downing she wrote in um same sex love myth and mythology, I believe, is the, the the title of the book. She touched on the fact that you know there's no way around it. Pederasty is the theme here with these ancient Greek myths, and so as soon as a boy entered manhood and grew a beard and no longer was that youth anymore, they were no longer, you know, the um, Eramenos, uh, the the love object of uh, mm. the initiator of of this initiation into manhood, and so in myth, the younger one dies. In reality, it's okay. This erotic relationship that these two men have had together is severed because now the younger one has now been initiated and will go on to initiate. Um, a young man from uh, there. Yeah. But for Ganymede, that didn't happen. 
he was brought up to Olympus and they live happily ever after. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I had read a little bit about that on your website, but it's nice to hear it spoken. Uh, how, how does it feel for you to have mythology that doesn't just speak to (laughs) a heteronormative narrative? It's gotta be, see when I, when I found you, that's what I thought was so brilliant about what you're putting forward. Cause I was like, like I knew that there had to be something out there that would help speak to more than just a heteronormative experience because uh, I mean, why would there not be right um, but yeah i i mean as a as a straight male white male, like most of the stories pertain to i hate to say me but i guess it is me uh and it's i don't know to me being i'm 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 so much the guy that you just spoke to (laughs) minutes ago (laughs) um just i've had some really intense dreams that were very sexual uh, with someone of the same sex. And I've had plenty of dreams where I've encountered dream characters who had both genitals. Um, I've had many dreams of just super intense sexual contact where it was not with a woman. And it didn't feel like a shadow character. It felt really true and pure. Even I had a dream with one of my best friends that I had sex with. And it it was kind of a dream that I woke up a little bit like, oh, that was, it, it, it's making me feel a little uncomfortable now awake because it was so okay in the dream Yeah, that now I'm like scrambling a little bit inside. It's kind of like if you have a dream with having sex with your mother where it's like, <laughs> it, it just, there, there's something about it that once you wake up, how good it felt was like, it makes you question so much. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of straight men and depending on how hard they rail against those innate urges that we have sexually, yeah, that I'm sure those kind of dreams really fuck a person up <laughs> if they're like that against it. Um, but I think you really got to realize that um, you're putting a lid on something that really has no borders, if that's a good way of saying that. Like, sexuality is fluid. And I think those dreams come in service, um, especially if we have a very strong inclination or orientation that maybe is almost fortified in that way because we're afraid of it being more uh, that these dreams come in service to help loosen up those edges a little bit and test, I guess, our, our comfortability with the, the vastness of sexual experience. I think uh, dream work definitely, uh, definitely brings you into those spaces quite intensely sometimes. <laughs> and, and it's funny cause I'm going to, 
listeners, you don't know this yet. I, I meant to say something maybe about it earlier, but um, now that we're here, I had a couple of dreams this last fall that I was going to share that were that felt like the dreams were telling me that I was gay and they were kind of coming out dreams for me. Um, totally threw me for a loop. And maybe we'll get to that after your third dream here. Or do you want to just dive into it real quick? Um, before we before we move on, because what you were sharing right now is just so amazing, Steve. <laughs> and I just am so thankful for you to for having the balls to say that. And um, <clears throat> I I would just only add to that. Um, I mentioned the compensa- uh, compensatory function of dreams, you know, with my first dream. And I think when it comes to Eros and a soul figure, a love object um, in a dream, in my experience, you know, I've had dreams where I'm I'm with a woman too. I don't think I've had had dreams, sex dreams with a woman, but I've definitely had dreams where it's like I have a wife or um, I'm about to marry a woman mm-hmm. and I'm super happy about it. And I'm just so in love and it's so, so wonderful. And I think that in addition to everything that you were just saying about the openness and one's own psyche and how they, treat their own sexuality showing up in their dreams. I think the unconscious has the ability to compensate for our conscious um, mm, yeah. sexuality in our dreams. So if you are all about being super mask straight dude, your dreams will compensate in a very effeminate way to tip the scales to give you some sort of balance. And these things that you're sharing about your dreams um, of erotic encounters with with friends of the same sex and, and possibly even people you don't know who are the same sex, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's possible that that is a compensation because you yourself are embodying enough femininity that is in need of that counterweight in an unconscious way. Um, I'm having trouble articulating it. No, I feel, I, I, I see where you're going with that. And I, yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. Uh, yeah. So I think that, that could be a possibility. Like our unconscious is there to show up in any shape or form to bring us balance and bring us wholeness and provide us the thing that in our little fragile egos um, we need in order to make us whole. Yeah. Cause I, I don't remember exactly what, when those dreams happened, I'd have to like really dig through my journals, but um I think at the time, I want to say I would have, I would have really looked at them as like, okay, well, a lot of times sexual dreams to me have a lot to do with coming into union with something and 
I'm, I'm almost positive. I think I remember looking at some of those dreams where it was me and another man as there was something about my masculinity that I really needed to forge a deeper union with. Yeah. And the comfortability of, of having sex with another man that I felt in those dreams really felt like a needed comfortability with my masculinity that I needed to really, I mean, how intimate that was uh, to, to forge that kind of deep embodied intimacy with the masculine side of myself, which I think I've, I've historically had a hard time. Like I'm not a macho man whatsoever. There's, I, I tend to be more of a people pleaser and a floor mat. And uh, there's, there's so much raw masculinity that I could really benefit from and that I've definitely over the last few years have, have forged, I think, in a really beautiful way. And I think, if I, I think if I really look back at when those dreams happened, that a couple of them at least would have been around that time when it was like really trying to activate that. So I'm I'm curious. I might have to I might have to dig back and see, and uh, I'll have to let you know if I do find them. Um, yeah, I would love that. Yeah, man. Yeah, because I would almost I would almost have to say that any straight man. I mean, I guess you have to remember your dreams, but I want to say if you had a <laughs> if you were a straight man and had a, a sexual encounter with a man in a dream, that's probably a dream you would wake up from and would and would remember. Uh, I would almost have to bet that everyone has had a dream like that. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a tall, I don't know. I would just have a really hard time believing that. But yeah, I guess, I guess you do have to remember your dreams because if you're not remembering your dreams, then who knows? But yeah, anyways, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, do you want me to share my coming out dreams with you real quick? Please do, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I I am so impressed with how hardcore these two dreams set me for a loop. Um, so the first one I had in this, uh, this past September, uh, September of 2022, and... I didn't remember anything about it upon waking up except for the fact that I knew that there was this very, very, very sharp realization that I had in the dream that I was really gay. And I woke up going, whoa, that's, that feels like I got a topsy-turvy ground all of a sudden. <laughs> um that was like a huge bomb to just like have nothing to go off from, but just have this hardcore feeling like it just like hit me in the gut. And I was like, I cannot believe how, how hardcore this dream that I remember almost absolutely nothing about has got me questioning my whole life all of a sudden. And it wasn't, wow. it had nothing to do with the fact of being gay. Like that wasn't like, that had nothing to do with how, bottomless my life all of a sudden felt it was it was the fact that i could have lived this much of my life and been oblivious to that and yeah. like that was that was the sinking feeling um about it was like holy fuck has my whole life been a lie 
<laughs> and oh man, I was, it it stayed with me for at least a day, maybe two. I can't remember exactly, but I remember just being like, "Holy cow, dude! Like I can't shake this feeling." And I kind of went about my life again, and uh, it started to its power kind of started to fade a little bit. But then, like literally a week and a half later. Um, I have another dream that follows up with it and I'm in a scene with my mother and I'm talking to her about this dream and she's like, well, I don't know if a dream is telling you that, don't you think that that means that it's true? And I just kind of like step back in the dream, like, <laughs> fuck, I, <laughs> I think just about any other thing I would be like, yes, absolutely. But I'm like struggling with it. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And then like the scene shifts and then, then I'm standing before this girl that I like went to high school with that I like never think about. And she's pressing the exact same issue. She's like, well, you're Mr. Dream guy. Don't you think if your dreams are like really pressing this to you that maybe it's true? And, like, <laughs> I'm just, like, spiraling in my head in the dream. And all of a sudden I wake up, and I wake up having that full dream and being, like, holy, f like, what is happening right now? Like, I and I'm sitting here thinking back to, like, instances in my life. Like, my first kiss when I was in third grade was from a boy. <laughs> and I'm, no like, way. yeah. And it was uh, like I, only was, my first kiss had been with a boy, Steve. Uh, <laughs> if only. Oh shit, that's funny. No offense to the, to the girl who I had my first kiss with, but <laughs> wow, that would have really. So I'm like great. thinking my entire life, and there's a few other things that um, I'm like blanking out on now. I'm sitting here blushing. Um, uh, <laughs> well, there's like a, just a few like moments in my life like that where i'm just like uh did i like miss something really crucial like how did this happen <laughs> and i'm just like spiraling and spiraling and i'm like oh my god i don't know what to do right now and i was just so impressed i was like man i have not had a dream that just just annihilated everything where it made me really think about everything so hardcore. And again, it wasn't being gay. Like that didn't matter. It was the fact that I could have convinced myself otherwise, or like lied to myself so fully that I had no idea. Um, that was like such a hardcore, like feeling about the whole thing. And so finally I sent Jason a text message and I was like, Jason, I really need to share a couple of dreams that I've had <laughs> the last couple of weeks um, because I am my whole life is in question right now. And he's like, oh, boy, this sounds good. And I, I told him, uh, I think, just a quick little thing about what it was. And his initial reaction was so hilarious. He was like, wow, there's there's a lot to unpack there. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know. Um, but man, uh, when we, we started to, to kind of lean into it a little bit, um, it all kind of started to, to make sense. And I pulled up this post that you had, 
let me let me get it here. Um, you had posted after we had started talking. Uh, I think I, I yeah actually did comment on it. Was like this actually really speaks to my coming out dreams. Really, <laughs> really awesome. Uh, and it pretty much sums up in a really neat way what me and Jason pretty much landed on. Oh no way! Um, so the quote that you had put up said. Our lives are a unique blending of testosterone and gentleness, hypersexuality and delicate sensuality, rugged masculinity and refined gentility. There is no other group quite like that of a gay man. We are a culture of our own. And basically where me and him landed was kind of, he, he basically asked me, well, what is your first association with you being gay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I sat back and I just allowed feelings completely free to come up, whatever it was. And this beautiful image of two men, two men, two men embracing each other and kind of like spooning with each other and gently caressing each other. And it at once felt, so gentle and so feminine, but at the same time, they felt so firm in their masculinity. Mm-hmm. And it was so gorgeous. And I was just like, oh my God. And I'm sitting there and maybe to kind of talk again to uh, the sexual dreams of having sexual encounters with men in a dream and what that meant for me, what I just said about. Yeah how maybe that was a way of my psyche being, bringing me into closer union with more of my kind of rugged masculinity. And now the two of them, my, my ability to, to honor the feminine and now more so honor the masculinity within me, uh, <laughs> maybe in that way, especially to your post, I am a gay man. I don't know. Um, <laughs> at, least symbolically, <laughs> at least symbolically. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the, whole, the whole feeling of that I've lied to myself my whole life, um, that really strong feeling, mm. I, still, I still have to kind of unpack that a little bit more. But I was trying to like, well, what is the story that I've been that I've been lying to myself about. Like, is there, is there some way that I've been showing up in the world that has been a lie? And I think listeners of the show know this big truth that I discovered about the victim inside of me of uh, fearing that I would never be worthy of my own love. Uh, That becoming this symbolically gay man where I am beginning to be more in touch with my feminine and masculine sides in what I hope to be a more balanced way. Uh, That in that way, maybe I've always been able, or maybe, maybe I have always been worthy of my own love and I've just told myself this story that I haven't been. And this imagery of these two forces coming together 
in that way is helping me to see that this has always been within you. You've always had this capacity and you've just been, <laughs> you've, you've been telling yourself this awful story, um, which I think a lot of straight men tell, tell themselves that they're, they're all man and there's not a hint of femininity within them or softness or whatever, you know. Um, there's plenty of stories like that that straight men tell, tell themselves and I think mine has a lot to do with my own sense of self-worth and my ability to nurture myself and to, to show up for myself in that way. To both nurture and to also hold that strong sense of myself. So... Yeah, I think that that's there's still it still feels like that's incomplete and I'm hoping that maybe through the course of this conversation I'll have another dream that helps. <laughs> now that we were peeling back these layers so fully uh yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's really beautiful, Steve, how you really how this really had such an impact on you. And again, just to kind of touch on like that autonomous nature of of the unconscious uh, the objective psyche it, it you dream these things and you don't know where it comes from yeah <laughs> and then it just kind of completely pulls the rug out from under you and um there are men and women and everything in between who live their lives well into adulthood and they've pushed this so far far back uh, the truth of their identity of their sexual orientation their sexuality because the society will just not foster it i know growing up um you know i had you know, <laughs> this, you know, in that dream with the church, I had a confessional while I was confessing here on your podcast about how privileged I am. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm still in that confessional right now. And I will say that, um, that I didn't grow up with any violence directed towards me for being gay. And I didn't come out until I was done with high school. And I grew up in a small town and I was really in denial about my sexuality. Like, uh, it's just not something I even thought about mm -hmm. because there were no images. There were no examples. There were no myths. There were no fairy tales. There were no Bible parables and stories mm -hmm. that were offered to me to, to hold that for me and, and to, you know, hold that sort of projection. So when you're growing up, and you're only handed one script you don't really know any other way yeah and then something inside you just clamors and it says <laughs> this isn't it <laughs> like this isn't gonna work um and for some people it's a very very lengthy process um and they don't really come out until later in life. So what you're what you're explaining has some real analogy to some real, you know, shall we say, clinical examples. Yeah. <laughs> um, this does happen where 
the reality of of sexuality and identity is just so cut off from us and so hidden from us by the powers that be that want us to fit in a particular shape. Um, in one of my posts from, uh, I featured a quote, quote from um, Jean Shinoda Bolin about the Procrustean bed, um, how those who wish to walk into Rome <clears throat> were put on uh, <laughs> this kind of torture device where either you were stretched <laughs> to fit, you know, the right dimensions or you were cut down to fit the right dimensions, depending on how you sized up on this, on this, uh, uh mold, shall uh. we say. So that's how we're all living here. Um, so what you, what you're experiencing in your dream and in your waking life and dealing with this unconscious, unconscious materials yeah, there are some ripples in in other people's lives where it it really is that literally they yeah. folks don't realize because it's just been cut off from them. Um, and so it's really wonderful and incredible to hear your testimony of discovering and coming into very close contact with a desire and a capacity for affection and eros in a masculine way mm-hmm. and not putting that entirely on a woman to hold that for you and to provide that for you you know i think yeah. that's another thing about the patriarchy and misogyny that we expect women to have the feelings we expect women to to be sex objects um to keep the house and the home and to raise the children um, and to really be the ones to hold feelings for men, but yeah. men have the capacity for feeling too, and you can be affectionate and you can be gentle and tender in a masculine way. Absolutely. And, um, I'm so excited for you to get in touch with that. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you saying all that. Yeah, it's definitely true. Oh, man. So where do we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> great, great question. <laughs> well, before I forget this, I want to come back to your confessional. Um, I guess uh, we never really touched base on what that had to do with your dream. But a question I was going to pose to you was, uh, does this play into... Because <laughs> I know you, you're... You're trying to create dream circles. Um, yeah. And so I don't know, the confessional to me for a second there felt kind of like, especially how ornately carved and beautiful the imagery felt, that it was like this beautiful aspect of this is part of the work where you you create a space for another person to enter with you and dreams even if we think they're going to be harmless tend to be <laughs> a lot deeper than we think going into these kind of things um yeah. and so they they kind of are a confessional so i don't know if that imagery holds anything like that for you or if there's something else that the confessional being there in that way 
spoke to you? Yeah, it's interesting. And thank you for that, because this is kind of a mysterious symbol for me from this dream. I really don't quite know. Yeah, because I imagine it can have some probably pretty hard connotations, too. Yeah. I think a lot of people resist going to the confessional booth. (laughs) But in my imagination right now, I'm thinking about the symbolism of a confessional. You, It's not so much that you enter confessional to be chastised. You enter a confessional because you want to be forgiven and relieved mm, of right. the weight of the guilt that you have for your um, iniquity and your, your sins. Mm-hmm. You confess because you know you did something wrong, or you know you did something that was not in favor towards the true message of Christ um, in your own living. And you go into that booth in one way, and you come out and you're kind of transformed. Like yeah. you have another, you're given another chance almost. Um, and that's in my imagination at this time (laughs) what i'm what i'm getting um from that image and and yeah the the ornate nature of it and i remember in the dream someone was talking to me and i did i just was not listening to them because i was running my fingers you know down the carvings on the side of this wooden beautiful confessional it was a very sensate moment you know i was talking about uh, inferior and dominant functions. Well, I'm more intuitive. So in the sensate is my inferior. And that was a very sensate moment of looking at the vivid, um, inlay on this, um, confessional and the, the color of the wood that's beautifully stained and I'm just running my fingers down it and really feeling it. I'm taking it in with my eyes and my hands. So, there's that aspect to this symbol too Hmm. that I shall continue to unpack. Yeah, man. Hmm. I like that. I, I seem to have completely forgotten the whole idea behind the confessional as like going there to ask for forgiveness and also to be relieved of the burden you're carrying. Oh man. Yeah, that, yeah, when it's done the right way, I guess that's. that's yeah, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Awesome. Man. Well, why don't we why don't we uh, move into your third dream? Because this is the one I'm I'm really curious about. There's definitely an overarching theme to this that I seem to have a pretty good grasp on why this would have came to you third, um, but the details in the mix of it, I'm like, oh man. Can't wait to see what all of this actually holds for him. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm, I've got you hooked. So um, I've done what I've set out to do. So here's the third <laughs> dream. Um, <laughs> happens about two-ish weeks later after that dream with the priests. And I discover these, you know, 
gay psychoanalysts and all of the material out there and I'm, I'm just taking it in so two weeks later i have this dream um so it starts that i'm with my parents outside of a hospital so we're like in the parking lot outside of a hospital my mother is in labor and we've been escorted out because there's some sort of emergency and the hospital needs to be evacuated she's about to give birth and though those around me are panicking, I find a plastic bag and place it under her while she stands. <laughs> Within moments, she delivers a beautiful baby boy, and I catch it in the bag I'm holding. My father is crying, tears of joy, and we all cheer. We being, you know, myself, my parents, and like people around us, I think family. The baby already looks to be several months old and well into infancy. He can sit up on his own. He's perfectly clean, and I hand him to my mother. He has olive skin and dark hair and large, dark eyes. He's sedate and calm, looking around. I feel he's one of the most beautiful babies I've seen. And I feel an intense tenderness and affection for him. I'm so happy to be his brother. My mother hands the baby off to my younger sister, and she and her husband carry it away to a nearby courtyard. All the while, I'm trying to capture photos of the baby and our family on my phone, but I'm finding it impossible as they won't stop moving around. I eventually find myself alone in this courtyard, as the others have walked off with the baby to handle other things that seem to be causing them stress. And that's the dream. <laughs> Really love catching the baby in a plastic bag. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. My, I mean, my initial thoughts are like, all right. Well, so there's a birthing theme that seems like when I was looking at these dreams with no context or very little context. Um, I'm like, okay, so you have a house, you're trying to build something, and then I'm guessing this second dream really expands upon what that is and then you're giving birth to it so i'm like i can kind of see potentially this thread that's happening um but i'm like i can't wait to see like what the nuanced uh things that are happening here for you and so yeah this dream is is so interesting i what i think is most interesting is i don't know why this is a case and i'm really curious to hear from other people if if this is a case for you too but Almost every dream that I've had of a birth happening, the baby comes out and is well into infancy. And some, mm -hmm. and most of the ones, like when I had dreams of my children when they were in utero, all the dreams that I had of them uh, while they were um, in my woman's body, it was a really weird way to say that, that came out very weird. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, well, while they were in utero, um, uh, every dream that I had of them, they were either a couple years old or the ones yeah. that I had of the actual birth, they would come out and they were able to talk and they were half the time they were walking already. And I'm just like in awe going, oh, my God, like what is happening? This is so amazing. And I'm just like bawling. And but yeah, I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> why they're always like already put together um and in your case clean like that's an interesting aspect of it <laughs> yeah hmm. 
so I, with all that, um, how, how did you begin to look at this? Well, before we get into that, I'm also going to kind of hit on what you just brought up. Please. Because on an archetypal level, we're in the realm of the divine child here. Mm-hmm. And an association I have with this dream, and perhaps it will carry for you too, is that the legend of the Buddha's birth is that kind of like in this dream, in the depictions of the birth of the Buddha, his mother, who's a queen, she's holding onto a tree, which, which kind of bends its branch down for her to hold onto. And so she's standing and she's holding onto this tree that's kind of given its, its arm to her. And then the baby's delivered as she's standing. And according to the legend, you know, this child is able to walk on his own. And where he walks, there are little lotus blossoms that follow from his footsteps. Interesting. Um, I don't yeah. know if he is like talking and saying amazing things at that point, but that's um, that is um, some of the imagery from this archetype of the divine child. That yeah, when they're born, they're ready to go, <laughs> <laughs> and they're oh, cute wow. and they can do cool things. They're not those squishy, monstrous-looking newborns that, <laughs> yeah. that you and I have to know yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. That's I'm so glad you shared that because that's I've never actually heard that, but that that feels right. That feels like very archetypal then, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a parallel here in this dream. But yeah, to get back to what you had asked me about my, my thinking about this dream, some context that I didn't disclose to you is um I, you know, like I had been saying, I was in this kind of existential crisis of a career, being a dad, um, watching the world burn in front of my eyes, mm-hmm. and really struggling to find a purpose for myself. Um, dealing with, like we said, hopelessness, loss of direction not really knowing what I'm doing. And as I'm reading more and more about depth psychology, analytical psychology, it's really interesting to me and I'm really getting into it. Like I can't stop. I have a reading list that's miles long and I'm just going at it full force. I'm totally into this thing. And I think for a second, what can I make of this? Like, what am I possibly going to do with all this energy and all this time that I'm investing in this? Is there a point to it? Is there a purpose to it? I'm having a good time and I'm learning a lot. It's really cool. And it's making sense to me, which apparently is, is something to be proud of (laughs) Um, because it's pretty abstract stuff, all this symbolism. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think maybe you can speak to this too. I think just being a creative type person and being a musician, we're we're uh familiar with the symbolic realm like yeah. we know when things aren't literally what they're supposed to be over there exactly there's something more to them yeah so so i had that going for me 
and I was listening to these podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. I have my favorite ones. And it's just like being able to sit in on a lecture that you never paid for. Some of these um, really fantastic um, podcasts on psychoanalysis. And they're talking, you know, I'm listening to one about what it means to train to become a psychoanalyst. And I'm deep, 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 deep in student loan debt from my uh, music degrees. And I'm like, oh, there's absolutely no way I could ever do that. (laughs) (laughs) There is no way. There's no, no way I could ever do that. Nope. Out of the question. Nope. (laughs) Uh, And it was shortly before I had this dream. I was talking to my analyst about this. And everything inside of me was saying, don't say it, Greg. Don't say it, Greg. Don't say it. Don't put it out there. Do not speak this out into the world. But I did it. And I said, I think I might want to be a, a Jungian psychoanalyst. <laughs> <laughs> it's like another coming out eventually. Um, oh, man. And my analyst was answered and said, I had a feeling that's where we were going. <laughs> and it felt shameful for me to say that. It felt reprehensible because it was me indulging myself in yet another impossible dream, something that could only lead to the same place that I am now or had been then of, you know, feeling lost. But yeah, maybe not. I don't know. But I spoke it and I put it into words and I entertained it and I said it to another person. And then I had this dream. And I think it was the unconscious really driving it home that, okay, this isn't just something that you've been fantasizing about. There's a little bit more to this desire and this, um, dare we say daimon type energy that i'm dealing with um and a desire to really fill that void that i keep tripping into in these materials on depth psychology that really seem to omit um queer themes and the treatment of the queer psyche Mm, yeah that's beautiful man i Real quick, I just wanted to applaud you for for speaking that out. I think uh, I think in some ways it seems like that's not a big deal, but it is, and it's the absolute first step. And if you don't take it, you never take it. And especially uh, speaking it out loud to somebody who could receive it and validate it for you is big. That's I think that's important. And yeah, so I'm I'm really proud of you, man, because <laughs> I, I know how hard it is to put yourself out there to even like consider it. And the thing that's funny about these kind of moments is it always feels so much loftier and weightier than we think we can take on. And yeah. I think one of the the most beautiful quotes that I came across quite a few years ago when I was in a really similar space was a, um, I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was, I think it's Michael, shoot, I can't remember. It's like, 
it's a starts with a B, but I can't remember exactly what his name is. He's this beautiful black man with long dreads. Um, he's kind of like an inspirational speaker. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, he had he. I saw this uh, documentary that he was one of the speakers on, and he had said that God doesn't call the initiated. God initiates the called. And I was just like blown back into my chair. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, that is very helpful. Um, just like thinking that, if you hear a call, if you feel a call to something, that walking that path, God, whatever you want to call God, will initiate you into being the person that is meant to deliver what it is that you are called to do. And I just thought that that was so brilliant and beautiful uh, and so helpful to me then. <laughs> And yeah, it seems like this is exactly kind of where you were at in this moment of feeling pretty daunted by having to be the guy that delivers the sermon on all this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Precisely. And, yeah. Yeah. And I also love like the idea of like God gives us dreams that are a size too big so that we have room to grow into them. And so, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, walking this path, from what I've seen from your work, I think it's great. I think it's beautiful what you're doing, and uh, it's so needed. And I'm super happy that you continue to walk down this path. I think it's great, man. Thanks, Steve. And um, I'm, I appreciate you sharing all that. It is, it is really resonating with me and giving me a little bit more hope because I don't know if if you felt this way but once you're in that really depth of despair hopelessness it's kind of hard to shake it off you know yeah. mm -hmm. and it makes you scared of taking risks and um and I guess that's where I'll just end that thought. <laughs> yeah, well, I can kind of pick it up because it's kind of like you're already so low. It seems like it should be easy to be like, well, can't go anywhere but up. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, Jesus, this feels so weighty. Yeah. And this is so big that I feel like I'm already feeling crushed by life. <laughs> like if this doesn't work out or it just it just seems too big it just seems too big for where i'm at right now but yeah i i know exactly that's, yeah that's absolutely a pretty brutal feeling but i yeah i think just taking those initial steps down that path the more you you just gain more more momentum the more you walk it and yeah that initial wanting to refuse the call is I mean it's in the hero's journey for a reason because it <laughs> <laughs> there is such a there is such a moment I think in everybody's life when they when they really feel that strong call that it, it does it makes you shiver because you're like why why am I the one like 
how am I the one? Yeah. <laughs> how can you expect this of me? Like, holy cow, that's a huge, that's a huge responsibility. And listen, on on my path here on the hero's journey, I'm barely making it into the woods, less out of the woods, um, <laughs> because. Uh, and that kind of speaks to the end of the dream. Um, I don't know if I could put this very coherently, but at the end of the dream, the baby is kind of taken away by mm. my family, and I'm left in this courtyard by myself, you know, after this wonderful experience. And my family is, you know, like, oh, well, we have to do this. And, you know, in, in two hours, we're going to have to be over here. So we got to, you know, and then the logistics and then the real life stuff uh-huh. interferes. And then they run, they run off with this beautiful miraculous baby that i'm that i'm you know fawning over and that's still where i'm at steve you know (laughs) i had this dream in in um 2020 and i'm still there i'm still there i'm the baby was carried away uh family stress logistics obligations deadlines all very much a part of my life right now and um i mean all that being said i did participate in a seminar a jungian seminar and that was great Mm -hmm. um right now i'm doing a course in dream interpretation um through uh a local foundation uh for jungian studies which is cool so I can fit that into my schedule. So I'm making it work. Um, this is a very large undertaking. It might not be what I do in the end. It's possible that I don't become, you know, the next queer Jungian psychoanalyst, <laughs> which is fine with me. Yeah. Um, but I'm doing what I can. I'm really motivated. I love this material. I love meeting people who are into it as well. Um, and that's, you know, one of the main reasons why I, I went to social media with this material, because I really wanted to foster a community, connections with folks that it also resonates with. Um, and here we are, you and me, talking on this this wonderful um, dream-working project of a podcast that you and Jason have. And I just couldn't be more honored. And it would have never happened if I didn't take that initiative to do this. And so, yeah. Hey, we're doing something here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it is all, it's, I don't know. I, I don't think we can like look at, you know, I mean, I've been writing music for 20 plus years and I don't have a whole lot to show like for it as far as like credentials or anything extraordinary to even speak about. Um, but personally my own development as an artist and just how writing the music that I have has helped me grow as a person I think is notable and it's valuable and it's so easy for us to look at productivity culture and think that somehow we're not up to par with where we feel like we should be if we're doing some kind of special work. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, 
I wouldn't discredit the work that you've been doing at all. I think, especially in undertaking this massive, uh, you're not only being worked by your unconscious to uncover the person that is ultimately to deliver this sermon, potentially, uh, <laughs> but also just, you know, life. Things in life have to happen in order for you to continue getting the education that you need, whether it's actual education or just like life thrown itself at you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, to, to, to become the man that life needs you to be to really do the work. I think a lot, a lot of the turmoil and crazy the crazy uh, underworld journey that I've been on for the last 10 years has been fueled largely by trying to help me finally become a man that I can actually stand on my own two feet and do the work that I've been backpedaling on for so long. And I think a lot of that inner work has to be done to, yes. to afford us the ability to truly show up in our purpose in exactly the way that life has been longing for us to be, or is that, that pure call that we have felt like you see the baby and then it shuffle away. Like that's still there. And the purity yeah. in that. Um, yeah. I, don't, I think I just totally lost where I was going with that, but um, yeah, that, that there is a seed there. There's a, the birthing of this beautiful baby that starts a process and for us to really truly hold the purity of what what it is that we're being called to do i think there is a there is a pretty sizable internal undertaking that that happens so yeah yeah man you're absolutely yep you hit it right on the head that's it <laughs> yeah. yeah and um Whew. Um, I know that a courtyard is also symbolic too in dreams. Um, as I'm trying to recall, this particular courtyard that I was left in, uh, it was kind of like a courtyard that's in the middle of some sort of building where you have walls all around you, but mm. but uh, you have this courtyard there. It's could be symbolic of the self right. um, yeah. or some sort of proximity to the self, um, a mandala, those sorts of, those yeah. sorts of things. So, um, yeah. And I'm also thinking of, you know, the grail legend when the grail is paraded in front of Parseval and then hurried away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he spends the rest of the, uh, myth trying to find it again. So, uh, so Yeah. That's same same stuff, mm -hmm. same thing that we're getting on here, and um, and yeah, I really do feel strongly that this discipline of inner work and working with your dreams and your unconscious material. Oh, we need it so bad. We need it so badly, especially for queer folks. We get so many images and so many messages thrown at us at every direction um, to try to keep us from understanding our inherent 
truth, our inherent value, um, our place in the history of the entire world, and our role in the current world. It is hard to get there. Um, we have to do a lot of digging. I remember one of the first things I did after I um, graduated college and I had some time as I read this big old book on gay history of the world because I never learned any of it. <laughs> um, yeah. You don't, it's something you don't learn in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how am I supposed to find my place in modern times if I don't know where my roots are? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, when everyone just tells you all the time that you're an abomination or you are broken and that you need to be fixed or um, you need to be, you're here to be tolerated. Not, you know, we're, we're promoting tolerance. Okay, that's almost what we need. We're promoting acceptance. Okay, getting closer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, can we get to affirmation? Can you affirm that even though I am not what you wanted me to be, that I'm still, like you put, to use your own words, worthy of my own love and worthy of other people's love. Mm-hmm. Um, can yeah, we get to that's that? That's belonging, yeah. And I think that's really what is at the heart of, to use your words again, this calling that I've, that I've, um, received to use the experience and and the privilege and the and the knowledge and the experience that I have and and my dominant functions to be able to feel <laughs> what other people are feeling my <laughs> my um, extroverted feeling to put that to good use um, in a way that you know at the end of the hero's journey at, at the end of the ox herding pictures you return to the village and you share everything that you've learned with everyone there. And I think that's all we could ask for. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Yeah, man. I, I would like to read the big gay book of, or the big book of gay history. Because <laughs> I don't have a clue about it. And I feel like that's, yeah, I mean, anytime, I, I love listening to moth stories. I don't know if you're familiar with the moth. Yes. And anytime they have uh, a person that goes up there from the queer community, I'm just like blown away by hearing their struggles and everything that they have to go through, not even just on a personal, but like a societal and like cultural and collective level. It's just, oh my God, man, that's, I mean, talk about privilege. That's nothing I've ever even really needed to think about, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
just not having to be in that position to question your reality yeah. is in itself a privilege. Um, but you got a taste of that, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> so you've been initiated. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> You're an honorary gay man. <laughs> Glad to have you aboard. Oh, that's funny. Thank you. I'll, I'll wear that badge. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I think you summed that up pretty beautifully as far as uh, what this all means to you. Is there anything more that you would like to say specifically to how these dreams have shaped you? Mm. I kind of, I think we walked around this point for a while, but to really try to wrap it up, I would say And um, doing what I could to pick up any sort of spark of anything. And I think with these dreams and some other dreams that I've had, they've absolutely shaped me because they've procured me with insight and information and images and just inspiration that I did not have on my own <laughs> in the world around me, truly. Uh, and they inspired me to keep searching. And um, in a time when I was uncertain and unsure and feeling lost, these dreams gave me a direction. And they mm -hmm. really... You know, when you have a dream, you really feel it, and it is real. It's yeah. real, these dreams that you have. Um, I read through it, and I'm there again, you know, living that dream. Um, and so it was a very true, deep affirmation of um, what I needed to hear and and a good direction to point me into to where I should go. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah, put you, it puts you on the path. Yeah, man. All right, well, to close, if you would like to invite anyone listening to the Ganymede uh, project, how can they find you and what, what can they expect? Well, thank you, Steve. Yeah. Um, well, I'm on Instagram. Uh at the Ganymede Project. It's spelled G-A-N-Y-M-E-D-E. -E. I hope I got that right. Yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, and that's where I just kind of have a whole catalog of all the quotes and things that I really feel are, are speaking to me at that moment or that I've collected. I also have a website, theganymedeproject.com, um, where I work to facilitate uh, queer men's dream groups. Um, at this time, I'm not full force into coordinating the dream groups, but that might change. So stay tuned. Um, I have some ideas for how we can make it 
the best thing that it can be. Um, I'm limiting it to queer men because that's how I identify. And I, it's a safe <laughs> kind of container for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so keep an eye on it because there will be some things happening for sure. Awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and all of the beautiful information that you had to offer us tonight. I am so thrilled that we finally got this to work out. It's been a couple months in the making. (laughs) And uh, yeah, man, this was great. This, This was everything I was hoping it would be. So I'm glad you kept me in the dark a little bit and... (laughs) man this is yeah thank you thank you steve um and also thank you for initiating me into the podcast life um yeah you're really great to work with and great to speak to i was um nervous that i wouldn't say or, or speak the right way but um it's just a real pleasure talking to you and talking about something that you and i are both really passionate about it was a great time and i Uh, Can't wait to hear um, all the other dreamers that you get to speak with, too. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, man, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Take care. You too. Be true to thyself. Four words that sum up Carl Jung's approach to personal psychology, and four words that sum up what we learn by engaging with our dreams, as demonstrated by Greg and Steve in this episode. It is a truth for everyone, regardless of gender or sexual orientation, a mantle to carry through life for those who seek to know who they really are. Know thyself. That is our guest Greg's mission for queer males. And you can learn more about it at theganymedeproject.com. That is Ganymede, G-A-N-Y-M-E-D-E, theganymedeproject.com, and at his Instagram of the same name. Thank you, Greg, for your awesome openness and your courage in exploring and sharing who you really are. And thank you, our listeners, for the wonderful ways that you are sharing this podcast and leaving reviews. We see you. I'm J.M. DeBoard, and for my co-host, Steve Wine, we want to wish you Nighty Night.